The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you for joining this ACB Diabetics in Action call. Established in 2005, ACBDA is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Our primary mission is to educate and support individuals living with diabetes and vision loss, parents and caregivers. If you would like more information about ACBDA, please send an email to acbdaorg at gmail.com. Our website is www.acbda.org. If you'd like to become a member, dues are $10 annually. Visit our membership page and website at www.acbda.org. Please keep in mind that we are not medical professionals and that this call is strictly for informational purposes and is based on our members' and friends' personal experiences. You should consult with your medical team before making any changes to your diabetes care regime. Again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. My name is Roberta McCall, and I'm your facilitator this evening. Thank you. This is uh, November 8th, and I want to thank Allison Smitherman for hosting for us, for Belle in Clubhouse, and for Larry streaming. Our guest tonight is Herbie Allen, and he is going to share with us ideas and suggestions and all kinds of things, cooking and diabetes related. You're on, Herbie. My name is Herbie Allen, and uh, most of you probably already know me from around the community, and of course, Herbie's Cooking Corner, which is a call I do every Tuesday morning on the, the ACB community. Be sure to uh, check it out if you've not already done so. And I am completely blind. I do have light perception, which really doesn't factor much in the, the cooking, but because uh, I can't see anything like shadows or anything like that. I can just see light, but um, nevertheless, uh, I have been blind all my life, so my cooking is adapted from being that way. So a brief background on me before we get into the uh, adaptive ways that I do things, and we'll also talk about the diabetes uh, aspect of cooking as well. Um, I learned how to cook back when I was a teenager, thanks to the School for the Blind teaching me and uh, then taking on independent living training afterwards, which continued my uh, cooking. And my goal was to not live off of TV dinners and things like that. I wanted to actually be able to cook real food for myself. And, um... So that was a big motivating factor for me to learn how to cook. And, uh, you know, at the time, too, can also, you know, help you, uh, you know, get in relationships and stuff like that, too, because people love it when you can cook, yeah, I eat girlfriends and uh, whatnot. But uh, 
That was a side thing, actually. You know, just uh, being wanting to the ability to actually cook was my main goal and be able to do it. I learned uh, techniques for cooking on the stovetop, the oven, all sorts of uh, different ways of cooking. So, like I said, I've been into uh, cooking going all the way back to around uh, 2002, so that's what now, uh, 20-some-odd years? Uh, yeah. So, needless to say, um, I've been cooking for a long time, and over the years I've still learned new things to do and to try and whatnot. So, what helps me be able to cook in the kitchen? Let's start with some adaptive tools that uh, I use and you can use or not use depending on your ability. So one, of course, is methods of accessing recipes. Back in the day, it had to be Braille cookbooks and uh, things like that more so. You could get stuff off of the internet, though. And, um, you know, even back in the day, like Betty Crocker was a good website to uh, look up recipes. But, um, so having good braille reading skills or computer skills nowadays, because you can just Google recipes. Unfortunately, the websites are, sometimes they can be a little bit interesting, unfortunately, because you have to deal with ads and whatnot. And, um, that was something I, I don't feel like I had to deal with as much of back in the day, but, uh, you definitely can get recipes off of the internet. Next is being able to tell things by feel. So I can identify a lot of my food just by the way things feel. For instance, a carton of milk is easily identifiable. Sugar is identifiable because it has a, even though it and flour come in the same type of bag, they um, have different textures. And of course, if you're using something like stevia or whatever, you know, that comes in like the little packets, um, you can do things like just use one brand of sugar substitute, whether it's stevia or sweet and low or splendor or whatever. And um, that, you know, put it in a spot where you know where it is. So that way you won't uh, get it mixed up with anything. Um, you know, eggs obviously are easy enough to feel. You know, different meats obviously have uh, different type of textures. There is a big difference between the way a chicken breast is going to feel compared to a beef roast or ground beef is going to feel different than a pork chop. So a lot of the things you can, if you're not afraid to uh, use your hands, then that can be a big help. Now, of course, if you have um, extra issues like in neuropathy or whatever, that can definitely present a challenge naturally and of course then that's where you can use other tools you definitely have um things that uh, well we we did not used to have like ira and uh, be my eyes um if you have a smartphone you know you can use those different services they they let you use your phone camera to talk to uh, somebody sighted on the other end who can you can point the phone and say, what's this or what's this? And uh, they can often help you with that type of thing. Or family member over a video conferencing, such as Zoom or FaceTime. Um, there are definitely options. Or, of course, you can have somebody help you, like, you know, okay, what do I need out for today for what I'm going to make or whatever. So there's always ways that you can try to use to work around 
um, things like that. And then, of course, the tools that you're going to need. Do you have a properly labeled oven or stove? So I have the old type that just uses the dials. So I can tell by the position of the dial what is high on my burner, what is medium, what is low. There are, though, of course, ovens that are just, uh, they are completely digital, and so they have, like, buttons. And so sometimes it's a matter of knowing, like, which button is preset for what, or how to use it. And of course, if it's a touch screen, you know, there are ways again of labeling different spots on the touch screen. Or like I said, that's where you can also use your uh, IRA. And of course, sometimes nowadays they do have some ovens that uh, can be controlled with Lady A devices and all that. So that gives you an opportunity to uh, talk to the oven. That is, I will say, my least favorite way of uh, wanting to do things in the kitchen just because they are reliant on the internet and if your internet goes down like what's happened to us a few times when we've had some very interesting weather situations like uh, I remember a couple years ago we lost um the weather but um we did so, so we lost i'm getting distracted here by my computer i do apologize so a couple years ago we got we lost our internet but we still kept our power so thankfully because i was able to use everything accessibly in the kitchen we were still able to have meals because uh you know i wasn't relying on the internet to uh, start my oven or microwave or anything like that so i tend to be a little bit more you can use smart tech to a point, but don't make it, make sure you have a backup plan. And that's my recommendation on that for what it's worth. Um, now, things like measuring cups. I do have sets of Braille measuring cups, but you can identify them without needing Braille. So your standard set is going to be a one a whole cup, half cup, third cup, and fourth cup. And the easy way to know what they are without any type of labeling whatsoever is just to stack them because they are going to fit into each other. So you're not going to be able to get a whole cup measuring cup into a half cup. There's a, that's Unless you're a magician, there's just no way you're going to do that. So then you can easily see which cup is which from there by, you know, just putting them in and then you'll know that your fourth cup is the one on top so if that's what you want then that's the one you use if it's the third cup you're looking for then you know just take away the fourth cup and that next one is the third cup half cup and the one cup is just easy enough to identify with how big it is same with the measuring spoons you've got your tablespoon teaspoon half teaspoon quarter teaspoon those are all going to recording fit. in progress Sorry, I forgot to turn it on earlier. My That's bad. Okay. I'm recording as well as a backup. Are you? So okay. we're good. Yeah. Sorry, Herbie. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I So um, I'm glad that you want to preserve what I'm saying here. So uh, I, I, I have no objections. Um, anyway, so measuring spoons, again, you can stack them into each other. with, And so you can easily identify measuring spoons without any kind of labeling whatsoever. There are also apps like Seeing AI that you can use to uh, scan products and scan barcodes. 
I will tell you, though, that in a situation like that, sometimes Google can be your friend. I had a situation a couple months ago where I'd gotten this frozen dinner, and I could find out easily enough through Seeing AI what it was, but I needed the instructions on how to cook it, and that was eluding me. Like, it was just not showing up. So I had to Google the actual cooking instructions for the product. And so that's where, you know, again, knowing how to use multiple tools. Now, I probably could have tried using Ira or whatever. I I don't usually rely on those services because I do have other apps, but um, that's how it was for me. Um, Another thing you can probably sometimes figure out in a pinch is the microwave because they tend to follow the pattern of sometimes they have indentations and even if they don't they tend to follow the pattern of like one minute two minute three minutes or there's like a 30 second option if you hit start so sometimes you might just have to do start multiple times or hit the one minute button multiple times so it can't that one's uh, can be a bit hit or miss but again there are ways that uh, you can figure out um, things like that. So, and of course, like I said, Braille can be a very useful thing as well. I talked about Braille labeling oven, uh, things like that. Also, Braille labeling spices, or if you're a large print user doing that, that can really come in handy, or boxes, things like that. As much as I do love my iPhone, it's a whole lot easier if I can just pick up a box, read a Braille label, instead and it's just so much more quicker but again not everybody is a braille reader and so you know um that's why i'm mentioning multiple options here so you can figure out which one is going to work best for you so another thing that is going to be useful in the kitchen is any senses that you can engage now Lack of sight, well, no problem. We can adapt for that. For instance, your sense of smell is going to tell you if um, something does not smell right if it comes to, like, food. Let's say you have some milk that's expired or, you know, something that's gone off. You know, you can feel if uh, you have, you know, some fruit or vegetables that feel, like, squishier than they normally should. Not trying to make everybody squeamish, but, um, again, these are things that you need to know and look out for. And obviously you don't want to taste anything that seems off or whatever. So, But um, sense of smell is also going to be useful for identifying things like if your kitchen is getting smoky or whatever. You know, you don't, the smoke alarm is a good tool, but uh, anything that can tell you ahead of time so you can turn down the heat or, you know, figure out the problem, that's always a good thing. Hearing. Oh, that is a valuable tool in the kitchen. For instance, if you're boiling water, knowing when the water is uh, boiling so you can start stirring. Now, let's go back to an interesting accommodation because this has caught people by surprise in the past when I've mentioned this. So, you know, people have asked about making pasta, for instance, and not feeling safe putting it in boiling water or hard boiling an egg. One trick to that is don't put it in the boiling water, put it in cold water, and then set it to boil. And this 
I, I must admit, people did not realize you could do it this way because sighted people obviously don't think in those terms and they don't need to usually. But yeah, you can put stuff in cold water and then put it on your stove and set it to boil and then just let it cool down a little bit before removing it. Or if it's something that's being drained anyway, you can just pour it over into a strainer or whatever. And then you um, can, you know, save yourself some of the concerns with the dealing with boiling water and stuff. But uh, like I said, knowing when something is sizzling on the stove or hearing, of course, your smoke alarm if it's going off, you know, that's a very important thing. All right. Um, so another thing is figuring out what techniques are going to work for you. So we talked about the sense of smell, why that's important, the hearing. And the sense of touch is also going to be valuable too, because you are going to actually feel like I'll use the boiling water again. You're going to feel your pot vibrating as well. So that's going to give you, and, and that's also useful to know because it also tells you that things are lined up on your burner. And especially if you have the uh, inbuilt burners that uh, don't have any clear markings, knowing how things are lined up is going to be a crucial aspect of that. I also recommend pots with long handles, so that way you have some room between you and the pot when touching it, so less likely to burn yourself. That is not a pleasant thing to do. Healthy cooking. All right. This is an interesting one because you're going to run into a lot of different um, things in regards to this. And I will tell you, I've heard a lot over the years. Um, one of the more common things I've definitely been asked about is like egg substitutes. And one of the more common ones is applesauce. Um, I've also heard of flaxseed being used. I think it's like a fourth cup of flaxseed for like uh, every egg. Um, I'm forgetting the ratio at the moment. But um, another one is going to be sugar. You have uh, a lot of uh, sugar substitutes that uh, you can use like stevia or Splenda and all that. Uh, just be careful because though that they do have their own set of problems um, with different chemicals and whatnot. So um, sometimes I've often felt like with the sh when it comes to actual sugar, like less could be, you know, just use less of it than I might. And I might still be better off than the sweet and lows. But everybody has their opinions on those. And I'm just telling you what to be, you know what you should know and be careful of and decide for yourself ultimately what is going to work best for you. I do think stevia is one of the better options to use though as a sugar substitute. Flour, um, there are definitely lot different types of flour out there. Your standard flour is going to of course be more carb heavy, but um, you know, there are like wheat flours that you can use. Um, just sometimes you use less, you will use less of it than you would like your more processed flours. And of course, you can also cook things that are, uh, you know, not really carb heavy at all. So, for instance, if you are wanting to do uh, steamed broccoli, for instance, well, let's go back to what I said earlier about not having to deal with boiling water. You could 
You can even, you can, it doesn't matter which order you do it in. Either put the broccoli in the pot, then fill the pot with water, or fill the pot with water, and then put the broccoli in. Sometimes I prefer to do it the first way around just because then I don't accidentally splash water. And um, you want to make sure there's enough water to cover what it is you're boiling. And then so then you can set that broccoli on the stove, add in some seasonings like garlic powder and. Um, some salt and pepper. Salt, though, is one of those things, again, you do have to be careful of because um, it can really affect your blood pressure. And uh, I'm speaking from personal experience with this one. But uh, anyway, um, but, you know, garlic powder and things like that are pretty tasty. So a lot of things you can do that don't involve any carbohydrates, whatever, and then just let it boil. And you can use your spoon to gauge how tender you want it to be you know do you want it to be more firm do you want it to be more soft and then you just let it cool off for a couple minutes i move it to like the back of the stove or whatever and uh, let it cool off for a few minutes and then you can pour it into a drainer so that all the water comes out and there you go you've got your uh, steamed broccoli or you could uh, use green be do green beans and um Add in a little bit of butter with canned vegetables, like with green beans, for instance. I actually just use the water from the can. So I will open the can of green beans, pour it all right in, and uh, add a little bit of butter and uh, set it to boil. And of course, you've got like your uh, meat uh, that you can also cook too. And... Um, and there's always ways to doctor it up without any actual type of breading or whatever. So remember what I said about seasoning. So if uh, you're wanting to do a uh, some chicken breast and, uh, for instance, you know, you can do things like add some butter and garlic powder, for instance, and um, or some chicken drumsticks. And uh, there you go. You've got a tasty dish that... Uh, doesn't involve any carbs. And if you do need some kind of carbohydrate, well, rice is an interesting thing to cook. I will tell you, it's one of my least favorite things to cook, but it can come out good when it does because it will go through your water really quick. So you do have to, I find I constantly have to add water to it. Now, of course, there are rice cookers and things like that that can sometimes help. Or you can, nowadays, there's the Instapots and uh, whatnot as well. So you do have those as Adaptive aids. Yes, we come right back down to the adaptive aids because there are always plenty of external appliances you can get too. So remember what I said earlier about uh, burners and not liking that? Well, there are things you can get such as electric skillets. There are, um, I have what is like a new wave burner. It's an inductive form of cooking that uh, it has a safety feature. So when you remove the pan from the burner, it immediately stops. So... Um, and so, and it has an automatic cutoff that'll kick in after a certain amount of time too, if it's left running too long. So you have that as an option. Air fryers, uh, those are definitely the rage today. And for good reason, they're very convenient. I have a simple one that just has a slider on it that goes from a cooler temperature to a warmer temperature. I'm not, uh, you know, I usually just do things on the higher temperature, but um, those can, um, you know, you can go from the simpler to the more uh, advanced models, depending on what you are wanting, because uh, 
more fancier models have different forms of cooking. So, as you can see, we kind of circle around between um, different ways of cooking and the adaptive equipment on that. Okay, um, so we're going to get to a point where I'm going to just let you all ask uh, questions. Um, let's see. Oh, another valuable kitchen tool, a smartphone or an Echo device or a Google device, because they make excellent kitchen timers. And, um, you know, because if nothing else, you can just yell at it and say set timer for 10 minutes or, uh, you know, something like that. Or you can use your phone or your Apple Watch. And there are, of course, you know, adaptive timers you can get to. Sometimes your oven will have a timer built in. Or there are the type that, um, you know, there's various talking timers out there. Or there's the old style timer that uh, you turn the dial and um, it has like little markings on it for like the 10 and the 15 minute marks, kind of like reading those uh, Braille watches, and uh, it rings a bell when it's done, and you have a ticking while the timer is still going. So that can be useful, because at least you know that your timer is still running, and that um, you didn't miss it going off. Though with Alexa or Google Home or your smartphone, you really can't uh, miss it, I find. So with that, I am ready to open it up to questions. And um, you can ask me anything cooking-related, and uh, if you have anything you'd like to offer tip-wise, too, we'll uh, definitely take that as well. So um, our, uh, I guess uh, i turn it over to you, Allison, to tell me who is uh, first. Um, we have Janet. All right, Janet. Hello, Herbie. Um, have you checked out directions for me? I have. Um, that is a good site, and uh, it really does come in handy because, um, yeah, I, I do use that for, like, frozen things and stuff like that. Yeah, my, my husband does, too, sometimes, so I just wondered if you have ever used it or if anyone else has ever used it, so that's a tip, directions for me. Yep. And if that fails, because I don't have everything, you know, just Google in general. Sometimes I will get instructions also from the manufacturer's website. And, um, but yes, a site like Directions for me is definitely an excellent resource. And we have no other raised hands at the moment, Herbie. No other raised hands. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow. So, so Herbie, this is Roberta. I, yes. I have a couple of things to toss out there. All right. Um, I'm wondering if you are aware of which sugar substitutes are heat stable. You know, some of them, I know like Splenda, you can cook, bake with it, and it will retain its flavor, its sweetness. Do you know much about any of the others? That is a very interesting question, and I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh -huh. when we're unsure of this, you know, I can actually ask my good friend Google here. So, <laughs> which sugar substitutes are heat-stable? So this is, you know, right now I'm just looking to see if I can get a quick and dirty answer here to make it look like I know what I'm doing and all that. <laughs> Um, but of course, you know, this is something that'll require more, you know, some products. Okay. Let's see. 
featured from snippet from the web. So, everything you need to know about sugars. Substitutes. All right. Well, this could be useful to know. Okay, Everything I cool. need to know about sugar substitutes. That's uh, what comes up right off the bat. And of course, I can add uh, right off the bat. But uh, and what are we going to say? Nothing. Just cool. Yep. Okay. So. So, of course, there is a difference between, like, so there are some sugar substitutes that are developed in the lab versus some that are natural. So it lists a bunch of these. Um, so let's see, the list, it, like, the ones it gives are uh, saccharin, that was definitely around in the early 1900s. Aspartame, that is what they use in the diet soda. By the way, I'm ad-libbing as well with what I know about these. Azosulfame, potassium, sucralose. And neotane, advantane, stevia, and monk fruit. So uh, monk fruit, I guess, is a newer one to the sugar. Th the latter are uh, definitely more natural and uh, plant-based, whereas the others were uh, uh, lab, of course. So... Okay. And let's Allison see, in 2012, have... the Diabetes oh, Heart Association and the Heart Association is a tool available to, so they, okay, there's a lot here, um, yeah. but I will say, so they definitely say to use it in moderation, so that is one thing they definitely do say, but okay. I want to look into a little bit more which ones are more heat stable, that is a good question. Okay. Allison or Bell, do you have any hands up? We don't have any hands in Zoom right now. Okay. Um, Berta. Okay. Okay. So um, another question that I had, Herbie, is if you have any suggestions for non-visual methods for dealing with instructions, directions, such as bake so many minutes or until golden brown, all right, good question. So, big golden brown is one of my least favorite ones because how do you know when it's golden brown? You don't. But recipes are really good about giving the time frame to expect. So what I will do is I will judge more on the side of caution, at least with the first time I'm doing the recipe, and tend to bake it. So if it says 20 to 25 minutes, I will definitely bake it more like 25 minutes. But, uh, you know, one of your adept, there are two different adaptive tools you can use if, let's say, we're dealing with a cake, for instance. And, um, you know, one thing you want the cake to be is, you know, completely done all the way through in most cases. Some cakes are meant to be a bit more moist, and those can be tricky. So a, uh, your fork is going to be a valuable tool for that because when you take it out and you poke your fork in and you take, take out the fork, how does it feel? Like, does it feel like there's goo on it? Does it feel like there's actual cake on it? And, um, and if you don't want to use a fork, a toothpick is another method that uh, you can definitely use. 
Golden brown means that it's going to probably feel a little bit more, you know, like crusty on top. And um, so like, say if it's a casserole or, you know, something like that, you're probably going to feel like a bit of a hard finish on the top of it. It may not be like, it may not be meant to be super crisp, but um, so again, this is where your sense of touch can come in handy because how does the top feel? Does it feel bubbly? And you can use your fork too. Now this of course, if you take something out of the oven, it's going to be super hot. So you really want to be careful, obviously. Mm. And um, if you have, again, I mentioned neuropathy. If you do have things like that, you want to be extra careful because you could burn yourself and perhaps not even feel it. And uh, that mm -hmm. can, of course, be dangerous. So definitely use like your fork and then give it like a few seconds to cool down before you actually try to... Um, feel the uh, fork but yeah i tend to just err on the side of caution you know when it comes when it comes to the whole golden brown stuff and just i rely on what the and i look at okay what is it saying for the minutes and uh, i use that as my gauge okay you know, more so than the golden brown okay i'm wondering so if anybody who's on the call has any input on any of these ideas please feel free to raise your hand um, and just jump in, Allison, if we get a hand raised. Um, so there were a couple of things that occurred to me as you were talking. Um, I was thinking about um, recipes that call for um, some things that are um, very high in fat or very high in sugar. Um, mm -hmm. And one that occurred to me was recipes that call for sour cream. Um, mm -hmm. I have made many, many recipes and substituted Greek yogurt instead of sour cream and the recipe came out just as good as if I'd used sour cream and I just saved myself hundreds of fat calories. Uh, so, that's a good idea. I will tell you truthfully I have a personal bias against sour cream. Cannot uh, stand the stuff. <laughs> um, so I'm all what, for anything that can be done to substitute it. Um, what do you I, do? I don't cook with it at all in the first place. Um, oh, so, okay. Oh, that's but, fair um, Yeah, but that, you know, uh, so I've actually done very little. So one thing I will say, first of all, I like to cook more than I like to bake. Um, I have done a lot of baking, especially thanks to my cooking call, but um, the whole and making, getting things really stiff and turning into batter and stuff, you know, I. Define the difference. Define the difference as you view it. Okay, so cooking something is, okay, uh, yes, all right, so let's talk about that. Baking is a lot harder work because you have to put in precise measurements of ingredients, you have to stir, you have to make sure the batter comes out to be the right consistency, and then you have to put it to either on to split it up into cookie sheets or, you know, like split up the dough, the things or pour it into a batter, put it in the oven and hope it turns out well um, when it comes to cakes. Now, meat, on the other hand, let's say if I'm roasting chicken, I you know, there's not much work involved in that. I pour the chicken in the pan. I add whatever I'm going to add to it seasoning wise. I put it in the oven. I know it's going to turn out cooked in about an hour or so. Um, nothing to it. It's going to, you know, if it doesn't turn out cooked, then there's something wrong with the oven. It's not something wrong with I, what I did. Um, because I will know that the oven's preheated because I also have set the temperature and all that type of thing. 
Or if I'm doing stovetop cooking, um, let's say tacos, well, I pour in, you know, I put the meat in the skillet, I stir it until I can tell that the meat is completely done because it's spitting at me and texture-wise how it feels with the spoon. And then I add in the taco seasoning and I already know how it's going to turn out. It's going to turn out delicious. I'm not waiting for an hour and hope that I'm not going to get... Um, you know, this effort that I just put into it is going to, you know, I'm seeing the results as I go along. So I think it has to do a lot with that. And then just quite frankly, again, let's do tacos as an example. There is a world of difference between stirring taco meat mixed in with water and seasoning versus a stiff cake batter that may taste delicious. I have no doubt, you, you know. And having to decide, am I going to use a spoon? Am I going to have to use a mixer? And, um, or, you know, um, invest in a massive KitchenAid device so I can, you know, have it do the work for me? And where am I going to put it? I mean, cooking is just a, a lot simpler. Now, there are um, situations where you do stirring with cooking. Um, I did a flatbread recipe a while back that does involve a little prep time. But I can kind of see how things were going in real time. Whereas, you know, again, the cake, you know, when it's in the oven, I'm just uh, hoping it's going to turn out the way it is. But I think with cooking, it's just I can gauge a lot more easily on how it's going to turn out. And just the work involved is usually less intensive. Um, now, some things, again, though, they do require there is baking involved with like meatloaf, for instance, that is more of a baking thing than a cooking thing. But again, I know how it's going to turn out because I'm not dealing with a weird batter. It's just mixing stuff in with the meat. And um, most of the time it's going to turn out good. Now, there's been a couple of disasters here and there, but um, I, I feel like baking is just a little bit more of an artwork as well. So th that's my take on the difference between baking versus cooking. Okay. Okay. I'm going to keep asking questions until I hear Alice and her bell pipe up and say we have hands raised. I think, I wonder if people are enjoying and, you asking the questions, you know, which... Uh, <laughs> I'm the inquisitor the, the, as well. Just to remind you, this, also, this is also about you guys, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't mind Roberta asking questions, but, you know, don't be shy. Or, or not just questions, but suggestions, too. Yep. Um, I'm curious if you have done any um, research or have experimented much with modifying recipes to make them more diabetic friendly. And if so, what could you tell us about what you've discovered or things you've tried that have been successful or not successful or anything up that alley? So I really haven't done part of it's because again, the whole cooking versus baking, I tend to because, you know, I think if I did more baking, I'd probably be doing a lot more substitutes or whatever. Um, in that regard. So a lot of the meals I cook tend to not. I mean, there are some that are going to be more carb heavy than others, perhaps, but um, I do tend to. You know, I try to find, I mean, so when it comes to modifying, I'm trying to think if I've actually truly modified anything for a diabetic thing. Um, I've not ever tried, for instance, like an artificial sweetener in a cake recipe. 
Um, I probably could, um, but I've, it's always been tricky to, until recently, I've not always gotten the best information on how to substitute things or how, what, um, it's always been tricky to know like the ratio and whatnot. And there are some people, and I know cause they've been on my cooking call, um, have a natural talent for knowing what to substitute and how to substitute things and to make it work real well. And that is something I envy when people have that ability. It is a gift. It is. Um, so it's more a matter of what I will make rather than how I will substitute. So, you know, I might do something that's going to be more meat and vegetables and, you know, so, so it's more of what I will cook rather than like how I'll cook, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I guess if I was, like I said, if I was wanting to make cookies every day, yeah, I'd have to really look into more of like, um, okay, how much stevia do I use in place of uh, <laughs> this amount of sugar? Or um, are there, I know, like, for instance, one interesting alternative I've heard about for chocolate chips is carob chips. And, um, I don't know if they're, I, I understand they are healthier and, um, they definitely did taste pretty good. I will say, um, so I wonder if they contain any fewer carbohydrates than, than, you know, I mean, they're made with carob rather than cocoa, but I don't know what their carbohydrate, you know, relationship is. Yes. All right, we have a hand. We do. This uh, right. and it's Excellent. Jenny. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Uh, I have um, just a simple question, Herbie. Herbie, um, about just all the whole um, cutting situation, cutting things up. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you personally do. I have kept it very simple, and I sometimes delegate it to my sister who lives with me. So. Oh, there you go. I wonder what you do. Um, sometimes, for example, I'll use kitchen shears to cut up onions in a measuring cup. Um, I use steak knives. I have one blind friend who actually uses a chef's knife. She's Japanese and totally blind. But I just wonder what your um, observations are about knives and food processors and uh, what you feel comfortable with. All right. Great question. So first of all, one thing you can always do is cheat a little bit if you don't mind, depending on how often you're going to use them. I will like in the case of onions, you know, I can you can buy the diced onions that are already cut up for you. So you just basically open the container, pour them in and um, you're good to go. It saves you a whole lot of work and um, achieves the same result but you definitely i've used a knife safely multiple times um where i've had to be the most careful was one time i was cutting some chicken breast that had not quite thawed out and i almost just sliced off my Mm -hmm. finger because i couldn't feel what i was doing and um thankfully i didn't but um if you what so what i will do when i'm using a knife is i will use my fingers as a guide so um like i'll use them as kind of like a way to measure the width of what I want to cut and then I will put the knife in between those two fingers and cut that way and that's how I can you can cut safely with a knife and um I like like I said you know it works every time 
Um, I do prefer sharper knives because they cut into things more easily and I'm not working as hard. But uh, there are some, like, I prefer more of a paring knife, like when I'm dealing with potatoes. I find that that works the best. Um, when it comes to meat, though, definitely like a steak knife or whatever. Same with vegetables. You know, something like a steak knife is a really good idea. You don't really want a butter knife. You really want that more for uh, buttering or for spreading. Though I find a spoon works a little bit easier for spreading myself. But um, either way... Um, you know, you don't want to use those for cutting food processors. Now, let's talk about those. Oh, yeah. um, my favorite one that it's been hard to find now in parts for, so I don't use it anymore, is was a salad, the Presto Salad Shooter. Um, because it had these not very sharp cones, but you could have different cones for... Um, making your vegetables into different types of cuts. So, um, you know, it was a great way to cut up broccoli, for instance, for their salads or things like, you know, same with cauliflower or carrots. You know, I could have them thinly sliced or I could have them shredded, whatever I wanted them to be like. Um, but food processors are good in general um, because they are a safe way of cutting things that you just put it in the blender, you... Uh, put the lid on, you press the uh, button for what you want it to do, and uh, it does the work for you. So they definitely can be a tool where you do have to be careful, of course, is um, different models work in different ways. Some you can take the bottom off very easily so you know exactly where the blade is. Some, you know, if you can't take it off, you're, you know, you're going to need to be be careful when you're washing it out, but you can use something like a wash rag or whatever to just feel the inside of it completely so you're not going to cut yourself. Um, what makes them more dangerous is not so much the blade themselves, as but when they're spinning. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do I have I have used for the food processors before. And um, Herbie, this is yes. this is Roberta. I'll put in another plug. Um, ACBDA is currently in the middle of a Tupperware fundraiser, and Tupperware has a very cool. Um, little device, and I, I, darn if I will remember the name of it, but it is a small um, container with a lid that you put small objects that you want to chop, like onion, uh, cut, you know, cut your onion into quarters or carrots or garlic or, um, you know, uh, smaller pieces of potato. And you put the, you put the, food in it and then you put the lid on and then there is a pull string and you pull the string out it comes out about eight or ten inches you pull it out you let it retract you pull it out you let it retract and when every time you pull it it's spinning a small set of blades that are inside All right, well, and there you go. it is it is the handiest little chopper device i have seen for just you know like who wants to chop up onions? It makes you cry. Who wants? Yeah. I haven't minced garlic in ages with a uh, garlic mincer because I have this little device. I just throw the garlic uh, cloves in there and I just go pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it. And it's like I'm done. I just tip it over and my minced yeah. onion falls into my bowl and I'm all set. Nice. It's really quite an awesome little device. And there are two sizes because I just bought a new one. Awesome. 
And there's also yeah. the ones that chop down, you know, you press down and they chop as well. But yeah. Um, okay, that sounds, definitely sounds pretty cool. And like I said, though, there's also many things you can buy that are already pre-cut. So they can't, it can be a bit more expensive, but it means the work has been done for you. So, um, you know, that's a great convenience tool as well. So you have definitely have some options there. All right. Go ahead. Are any questions, Allison? Hands raised? No raised hands. Okay. A moment. We got a quiet crew tonight, Herbie. Mm. We do. (laughs) Another thing I was going to mention is um, people talk about, you know, telling when water is boiling. And personally, I cannot tell. Once water goes past the point of making a lot of cavitation sound and it sounds really loud, like... You know, like you can't hear your radio over it. Yep. It gets more quiet and then it begins to boil. I cannot tell when water is boiling. And so I use something called a boil control disc. And a boil control disc is a small circular. The ones I've seen are circular, about three and a half inches in diameter. It's like a little disc. And you set it in the bottom of your pot. And it's designed... It's not a sighted thing. It's designed to help to prevent your pot from boiling over because the boiling occurs at the site of the disc rather than up the sides of your pot. Now, you can overwhelm it if you boil. Uh-oh, we just lost you. Burn it? fell over. But what I like about the boil disc is when is that when it's when the water is boiling, the disc will rattle in the bottom of the pot. There you go. And so I get I get sound feedback. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Do we have a hand up? No, no you, I was just calling you because you, you, you faded out. Yep. Oh, I faded, faded out for a few seconds. Where did I yeah. fade out? Oh dear. No, you're good. We heard the important part. So yeah, okay, it makes a good. rattling. Um, you were talking. So it makes a rattling sound when it's boiling. Yes. So that can be useful, definitely. Yes, very, um, and very handy. Like for I said, me. you can also feel the side if you have um, your touch senses working. You can feel the side of the pan if it's bubbling and it's um, you know, if you feel it vibrating like bubbling, then that's also another indicator that. It is uh, boiling, so just something else to uh, make note of as well. As if I may jump in a second, I need to let you know we have nine minutes. All right, okay. well, nine minutes. Well, come on, guys. Um, I know uh, this is your chance to uh, ask any questions um, or share share or some share. of the tips, share yeah. things that you do that work for you. I have a question. Who's yep. Who's this? Yeah. Uh, my name is Mary Lou. And uh, I was wondering, does anybody know where I could get pasta? See, my husband is Italian and he loves his pasta. But is there a sugar-free pasta or something low-calorie? So that's a very good question. I know there are some plant-based pastas that are out there that um, are very an interesting experiment. Like they they don't come out soft, is my understanding. So um, there are some pastas that will I think are low carb. So you just have to kind of look for them. Uh-huh. Um, this is where online shopping can really be helpful too, because 
you mm-hmm. can see, you know, more of the labels when you're look using your phone, like say the Walmart app or Amazon or Instacart or whatever. And um, so you can search for like, you know, um, skinny pasta or low carb pasta or whatever. So, um, you know, see what results you come up with. Is there any low, uh, how about sugar free sauce? Is that, is there anything like that? I found ketchup and syrup. But I wonder if there's pasta sauce. Um, pasta, so pasta, well, you can always make your own pasta sauce, if nothing else. That's what occurred to me, too. Um, Uh because, you know, like, um, you know, it's tomatoes, like, so you could use, like, you know, tomato sauce with some, like, I have a pizza sauce recipe that's, like, tomato sauce, tomato base, (laughs) paste, oregano, uh-huh. Um, so you could add some like garlic into that and stuff too, and you know just use that as a pasta sauce rather than a pizza, and don't put any sugar in it. Uh huh. Um, but sometimes if you want something sugar free, you do have to do the extra work and make it yourself. Unfortunately, another um, but, thing, uh, another thing you could do with pasta sauce would be to start with you know a jar of something that you like and and um, make it go farther by adding more tomatoes and some spices that you like and then just stretch it and then it would yeah. be less sugar but it would still have the, the the basic flavors of the pasta sauce that you like no that's a good question yep yeah, and now something because i was thinking oh, you could use this use pasta sauce but i do remember you know i was thinking like you know if you're making an alfredo sauce you could use tofu as a thickener instead of um heavy oh, cream idea. And it just occurred to me, I do remember coming across a tofu sour cream recipe. Um, so there are ways to make yeah. alternative sour creams as well, if that's what you're going for. Um, and we have a couple of hands whenever you're all ready. All right, let's get to them. All right. Ju- Julie, you may unmute. Hey, thank you. Um, so this was to answer the, uh, I think it was Mary Lou, that asked about... Um, the pasta um, dream field, which they sell on Amazon and probably some of the other national, um, they make a whole wheat pasta and I've bought their spaghetti and a couple of other things. And honestly, it to me worked out just as well as doing regular pasta. Um, it was kind of hard to get a hold of during the pandemic times when things were out of stock for a long time <laughs> but um it's it's sort of come back so that might be an option um i know barilla makes some whole wheat things that are pretty good um as far as the sugar-free sauce i haven't really found one um part of the problem in trying to make your pasta sauce the sugar-free at least with the tomato or marinara is that for people that have acid reflux you don't want to take the sugar out entirely because that could cause like heartburn to get a lot worse um if you see so you, you kind of need some of that to put in some balance there but um so i'm sorry that's probably not helpful but i know dreamfield and Berla did make some good whole wheat things if you wanted to give them a try well that's where you have to and again you have to decide you know because i mean you can compensate you know, this is where you know try to exercise and stuff you know when you're well, cooking can be an exercise, so you know, I, but uh, that can also help balance out some. You know, if you have, you, you know, that can also help out with, um, 
like situations where you have too much carbs or whatever, you know, try to burn some of it off with like exercise or whatever. Um, Pasta is very hard though. As far as people who have diabetes, it it is, it's, it's, it can be very difficult. Um, And I just wanted to check because we're going to run out of time. Allison, do we have hands up? We have one hand at the moment and that is Janet. All right, Janet. Um, yeah, um, I don't know if they still make them, but you could probably go to a health food store and talk to somebody there about sugar-free stuff, or maybe get a hold of a dietitian. Dietitian, right. so great idea. One, so. And just, you know, see what happens. What happens if you type in, you know, into Google, sugar-free pasta sauce? Yeah, or you, or you yeah. could make your own pasta, actually. Yep, you can make your own pasta. You can make your own pasta sauce. That is a lot of work, though, on making pasta or <laughs> pasta sauce. So, um, some of that depends on how determined that you are. Yep. All right. All right. Well, well, good night. You too. Well, um, Thanks, Janet. we've got three minutes left. I really don't have anything else. I don't think. And I don't know if we have any other hands. I don't see. We any. do not. All right. Nothing in Clubhouse. Okay. I, I can, was going to say, I, I can tell there used you. to be, Go ahead. There, there used to be, and there probably still is, I, it's been a while, there used to be a company in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area, it might be Chelsea, Ann Arbor, someplace in, anyway, that made um, a kind of pasta that was absorbed differently than standard pasta. And it, it wasn't sugar-free pasta, but I think it was like a low-carb kind of pasta, and it, it I've I had heard a lot of local people who had diabetes say they liked it because it was not as hard to control their blood sugar with it. And I don't know if it was Eden Foods, like Garden of Eden Foods, or if it was another company, but it was a Michigan-based company. Yes, Larry. I was just going to plug a couple of things real quickly before we go. We have we used to call these casual chats where no specific topic is centered. And we do these these chats uh, the third Saturday and the fourth Monday of each month. So we've got one coming up on the 18th on Saturday, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific. And then at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on Monday, and that would be the 27th. So a chance for you to chat and t- talk a little bit about diabetes and things that are of specific interest to you. So Great. Thurby, thank you very much. Roberta, thank you very much. It's been great. It's been fun. I learned a lot, and I'm continuing to learn. And these calls are terrific. Thank you, Allison and Bell, for your work as well. You bet. Thank you all. all. Good night. Good night. I'm going to close the room.